God's grace is yours in Jesus. Amen. The Word of God for our consideration today, our Old Testament lesson, Isaiah chapter 61. In the name of the Anointed One, whose birth was promised from of old, their fellow redeemed. I look out today and I see a, a number of people <clears throat> who have not yet reached the golden age of retirement, people who are still in the workforce. And so I ask you workers today, do, do you have a job description for what you're supposed to do at your place of work? Has somebody ever taken the time to write down, this is what they're expected to, you're expected to do? If you're an employee that's got a job description, written or unwritten, raise your hand. Okay, this year Mount Olive has spent some time kind of updating the job descriptions of workers here, including the pastors. And I found that it's, it's been a beneficial process for a number of reasons. First, it, it helps us know what we're supposed to be doing. It helps us define, you know, exactly what is a school pastor and how is that different than like the pastor who works with member ministry? But a job description doesn't just help us see what we're supposed to do, but also what we're not supposed to do. Early in my ministry, one of my jobs as a pastor was to type up the bulletin, run it off, and then fold every single one of the worship folders for Sunday morning. And, and granted, sometimes I'd have my wife do the folding. She was really good at that. She's a pastor's kid, so her dad had taught her... How to fold those things real quick. Today, that's not in my job description. We, we got a whole team of collators who come in and put the bulletin together, and I'm very thankful for that. But there's another purpose of a job description. It's to help others see the value of every particular role in an organization. A while back, we had kind of a debate about whether Mount Olive really needs an operations manager. I mean, couldn't the pastors do that stuff? Until we wrote down what that stuff was. Personnel management, hiring the janitor, overseeing the finances, maintaining the building, making sure we're tax compliant, and a whole long list of other things. And we realized, wow, <laughs> This is a pretty valuable position. This, this position is going to benefit the entire congregation as that person carries out his job description. Well, if that's true for positions like pastors and principals and the assistant to the cook, how much more true is it for the most important job in the world. What's the most important job in the world? Coach of the Green Bay Packers, no. <laughs> President of the United States. Secretary of the United Nations, no. The most important job in all of history is recorded right here in Isaiah chapter 61. Here the prophet Isaiah, in effect, puts down on paper what we might call the job description of the Messiah. 
the one who was coming to rescue sinful man from sin and hell forever. And just like any good job description, this job description will tell us first what the Messiah would do, and secondly, how his job will benefit the rest of us. Now, before we look at the specifics of the job description, we should maybe ask a couple of preliminary questions. <clears throat> first of all, how do we know that this job description applies to the Messiah? Well, Isaiah starts by saying this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. In the Hebrew, the word anointed is Messiah. It's what gives us the English word Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. And in the Greek, that same word is the Christ. Both of them mean the anointed one. The one that God chose. The one who God poured out not oil on his head, but the Holy Spirit on his head. But the real question is, so who is this Messiah? Well, you heard what Isaiah wrote, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, which sounds like the Messiah is Isaiah. Or at least Isaiah thinks he's the Messiah, he's the one who's anointed, and we say, is that right? No, it's not. And how do we know that? Because of something Jesus once said. Remember when Jesus makes a trip to his hometown, back to Nazareth, he goes to the synagogue, and everybody's going, wait a minute, isn't this, isn't this a carpenter's kid? Why are all these people following him? Who, who does he think he is? Jesus, who do you think you are? And Jesus answers that by pulling out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, rolling it out and reading these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and says what? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, Jesus said, that, that anointed one that, the prophet was talking about, <laughs> that's me. I'm the Messiah. So now we know that, yes, this job description applies to the Messiah, and Jesus is that Messiah. So now we can go to, and what was the Messiah supposed to do? What was his job description? And this is an important question because down through the centuries, a lot of people have just totally misread the job description of the Messiah. I mean, from the Jews in Jesus' day who thought the Messiah was going to come and throw off the Roman Empire to people today who think that the Messiah is going to come back and set up this earthly kingdom for all Christians to live for a thousand years. No, to, to clarify what the Messiah came to do, we need to listen to Isaiah. Isaiah says that the Messiah would be anointed to do four things. To proclaim good news to the poor. 
to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. Now just for a moment, I want you to focus on the four groups of people that the Messiah was coming to serve. The poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, and the prisoners. The question is, who are those people? There are some people who would interpret this very literally, in a, in a physical way. Oh, he's, he's talking about the people who've got no money. He's talking about people who are behind bars, who are held hostage by captive nations, which, if it's true, means that none of these words really apply to us. I mean, we live in the United States. We are not poor. There's not a single one of you here today who's behind bars. You're, you're not held hostage by some terrorist group. Or, or what if Isaiah is not speaking in literal terms, not physical terms, but spiritual terms? What if the poor are not those without money, but those without worth? People who in and of themselves are worthless people who understand that they have nothing of value that they can bring to a just and holy God, people who recognize that their righteous deeds are as filthy rags. What, what if that's who Isaiah is talking about? And who are the brokenhearted? Those whose hearts feel the weight of their sins. And, and who are the captives? Those who feel like they're trapped by their own sinful nature. Who feel like there's a force inside of them that is, that is controlling them. They feel like prisoners of their own sinful nature. The good they want to do, they don't do. And the evil they don't want to do, they keep on doing. Tell me. Who's Isaiah talking about? Isn't he talking about you and me? People who keep falling into the same sins again and again and again. People who are tormented by temptation. People who, who lie awake at night thinking about all the stupid things that I did and the people I hurt and the times that I failed, and all these sins weigh down on my heart. And I wonder, how could a God who knows everything I've thought and said and done, a God who by nature hates sin, how could God not hate me? Why would a just God do anything good for me, have anything good to say to me, and I'm tormented by that thought. My friends, this is why Isaiah tells us what the job description of the Messiah is. He tells us what the Messiah came to do for people like you and me who sometimes feel unworthy, unworthy, 
who feel hopeless, who feel like we're trapped by our own sins. What does the Messiah say that he's coming to do? To first proclaim good news to the poor. Really, everything Jesus says is good news for people who know that they got nothing. Nothing in my hands I can bring. Simply to the cross I cling. But the Messiah doesn't stop there. He says he will come to what? Bind up the brokenhearted. Isn't that a comfort? When, when our hearts are weighed down by the proclamation of the law, when, when I know I've failed, Jesus brings the balm of his forgiveness and his love, and he puts my heart at peace again. The Messiah comes to proclaim freedom for the captives. When we feel like we're trapped by our sinful nature, when we, when we say with the Apostle Paul, who will rescue me from this body of death? We can say with that same apostle, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus brings freedom for the captives and he promises he will proclaim what? Release from darkness for the prisoners. You think about back in the day when they would throw prisoners into dungeons that had absolutely no light. People couldn't see their hand in front of their face. But then when they were set free, it's as if they regained their sight again. They could see. Well, so also, Jesus, when he sets people free from the darkness of unbelief, they can suddenly see again. What did Jesus say? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of light. This is what the Messiah's job for you is. And he, and he doesn't stop there. He says he goes on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. <clears throat> That's actually a reference to something that happened in the Old Testament called the year of Jubilee. After the Israel entered the promised land, every 50th year, all the property would revert to its original owner. Everyone's debts were canceled, and if you were thrown in jail for not paying off, you were set free. All of that was a foreshadowing of the spiritual freedom that Christ has given to you and me by his death and resurrection from the grave. In fact, the Messiah paints one more picture of what he would do. He comes to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, in Jerusalem, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Can you picture the scene? This is really a funeral procession. Where, where people are dressed in sackcloth, burlap, and putting ashes on their head. They're grieving. They're, they're mourning the loss of a loved one. And then in the middle of that funeral procession, suddenly it becomes a wedding procession. And instead of ashes, they are given perfume to wear. And instead of garments of grief, they are given garments of salvation and praise and joy this is what Jesus has done for you and me. 
I mean, we live in a world surrounded by death. There is mourning all around us. And yet, what does Jesus do? He steps in and he makes us his bride. He washes us clean. He dresses us in the robe of righteousness, his holiness, and he puts us in a procession that's going to end up with a banquet in heaven. My friends, that's the exchange that the Messiah has made with us. He took our sins, our guilt, our shame, and he's replaced it with his holiness, with his joy, with his glory. And that's what changes our attitude about life. Even when we live in a world that's broken, even when we feel our own sins and the sins of others, we know what Jesus has done for us. He's forgiven our sins. He's given us life as a child of God. He's given us the promise of eternal life in heaven. You might say that because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the job description that his father gave to him, he now allows us to carry out the job God has given to us. And that's simply to live our lives in gratitude for what God has done for us. To live our lives as the beautiful people that God sees us to be dressed in Jesus' holiness. It's, it's what allows us to say with the prophet of old, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. My friends, that's the good news that Jesus proclaims to you for your good and his glory now and forever and ever. Amen.